Well, we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. This past week, I read two different kind of articles, very, very different articles about two different men, and yet they have very, 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 very similar uh, content than what we're going to talk about here today. First one is about a tennis pro, Roger Federer. I mean, during a match at the Gary Weber Open, uh, uh, he, was, he was standing back at the baseline, you know, in that ready position on his toes with a racket in his hand, waiting for his opponent to serve. And his opponent threw that ball up and it went right into the net. Now, it was the second tiebreaker of, uh, you know, the, 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 the win was on the line here. I mean, the match was, was right based on this, this whole particular, and the whole stadium erupted. I mean, people were cheering, and, but Roger Federer just went back to the line, stood there getting ready for the next one. Apparently, in the heat of this competition, perhaps the heat of the day and the sweat uh, rolling down his brow, he had lost track of the score. When everyone around him was celebrating, he was getting ready for battle for a victory he had already won. The ball in the net was the end of the game. He had won, and he didn't know it. The second story is very much like it. It involves a uh, delivery driver in California. His name was Steve Tran. I mean, he showed up late at the Sacramento, uh, Sacramento uh, office of the lottery. Apparently, he had the winning ticket. But it was, uh, was uh, like two weeks after the drawing had taken place. Now, apparently, this was a huge thing when this took place. Uh, everyone in California was wondering who was the winner of the $243 million, and why haven't they come forward? Now, Steve had watched this on the news unfold and all the stories and all the conversation. But it wasn't until two weeks later in the middle of the night, you know, realizing that the winning ticket was bought in uh, San Antonio, uh, that, that he woke up and said, wait a minute. I was there, <laughs> and he looked at his ticket. For two weeks, the guy was a multimillionaire, and he didn't know it. See the similarities in the stories here? Both men had something they didn't realize they had, and because they didn't realize they had it, they missed out on it. The tennis pro, everyone is cheering. They're up on their feet, clapping and yelling. And he was back, back in the trudgery of it all. And this multi-millionaire had the winning ticket in his hands. And he missed out on the opportunities those treasures could afford him. The same is true about you this morning. And it's true about me. If we don't know the teaching of Romans chapter 6. But fortunately for you and I, we're going to study it this morning. So we, we know that uh, what's going on around us, the victory we have available to us. And so here we are in Romans 6. And I, I think before we dive in, it might also be good if we do a little bit of review, find out where we are. Remember, the, this book of Romans is, is the, 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 just the, uh, the epitome of, of Bible writing on doctrine. I tell you, this is a theological treatise written by the Apostle Paul. You know, as, as revealed to him by the Spirit of God, causing him to write these things. Beautiful letter. And it's all about our, our, our salvation. 
I mean, how it happens, how we live it out, what our future looks like. And, and he, in, in the chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul lays out like a, like a prosecuting attorney, everyone that has ever lived in this world except for Jesus. And he lays out this, this, uh, this, this argument, this accusation, and he comes to the conclusion that everyone that has ever been born into this world minus Jesus, is a sinner who stands guilty before a holy God. Every one of us, he knocks down every excuse you could possibly come up with. And we stand before God as sinners, condemned by a holy God. Well, after chapters 1 to 3, we're saying, is there any hope? And Paul transitions into chapters 4 and 5, where he lays out how a sinner an unrighteous, condemned person can be made righteous in the eyes of a holy God. And of course, the focus is on both what Jesus did and the proper response to it. Of course, you and I both know, uh, we all know that the gospel, the gospel by which we are saved is Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That is the good news. Christ died in our place. He took the penalty we deserve. And then he rose from the dead victorious. And what is the proper response? The proper response is this. It is faith. It is not law. It is not morality. It is placing our faith in Jesus Christ. It is the only way to be made righteous in the eyes of God. Without faith, the writer of Hebrews reminds us, it is impossible to please God. And so Paul laying out our condition, we are sinners condemned by a holy God, and yet God loves us. And he sent his son who willingly came to die in our place. He rose from the dead, and the only response that is acceptable to God in response to that is faith. It is trusting in Christ, in Christ alone. Well, that brings us to chapter 6, my friends, and it logically just flows from you are lost, this is how you can be found, and now moving into this next section, chapter 6 through 8, answers the question, how then shall we live? I mean, if we were lost, but we have been made righteous by faith in the blood of Christ, the death on our behalf how then should we live? And if we're honest here, friends, and we just did a little personal poll in our life, we might say, not very well. It seems that that, that sinful life that God saved us from shows up an awful lot in our, our minds, our, our attitudes, our thoughts, and our actions. And friends, these things ought not to be so. I mean, God did not save us from our sin that we could jump back into it. You imagine a lifeguard pulling a drowning uh, adult out of the water and then they dive back in? I mean, the thing that was killing you, you're diving back in over and over again. And we don't want to talk about that. We don't like to talk about those thoughts that sneak into our head and we entertain us for a while. And we hope nobody knows God help us if someone can read our minds out there. 
Those thoughts that turn into plans that turn into actions. Hmm. I mean, how are we going to live? The good news is you're going to find out right here today how you can be victorious over sin. I mean, chapters 6, 7, and 8 that lay out how we ought to live in light of our salvation lays out this, uh, this uh, threefold uh, um, the result of our salvation, our justification. The first in chapter 6 that we're going to talk about today is victory in Christ over sin. Coming next week in chapter 7, Paul's going to lay out our liberty in Christ. We have victory in Christ. Chapter 7 tells us about our liberty in Christ. And then we get to chapter 8. Paul lays out our security in Christ. But today we're going to focus on the battle and how we can live in the victory that has already been purchased for us. So here we are in Romans chapter 6 at verse 1. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. And here we're going to find that Paul gives us three instructions, three of them right here. Three instructions for living out our victory over sin. And we will discover today that by living out these instructions to have victory over sin, we will overcome slavery to sin by pursuing righteousness. So let's jump in, friends. You ready? All right. Take a deep breath and jump in. Romans 6 verse 1, the first instruction, if we are going to overcome sin, is this one. You've got to know the truth about your victory. You've got to know the truth about your victory. I mean, did you know that you already have victory over sin? It's just a matter of living it out. It is already there in your possession. Like Steve who had the winning lotto ticket, the cash was just waiting for him. All he had to do was claim it. You've got to know the truth about your victory. Notice verse 1 here. I mean, what shall we say then? Are we to continue on in sin that grace might abound? Remember, people had accused Paul of teaching that. Because, I mean, all we had to do was trust Christ and we could be, yeah, but what about following the law and what about all? You're saved by faith and faith alone. It's not about following any set of rules, just one, the one that God lays out. Trust in him. The issue is faith. And so he continues on here in verse 1 and says, so what are we, I mean, what are we supposed to do? We were lost. We have been saved by faith. How do we live? I mean, we continue on in sin? I mean, you know, because when we sin, the grace of God covers us. I mean, it's true. Right now, if you're wrestling with a, yeah, but Dave, you don't know the sin. I mean, I know Jesus died for it, but, but it's a big one. And I don't know if I can, uh, God can really forgive me of that one. I'll tell you what, if that is your thought right here today, I've got great news for you. God's grace is greater than your sin. And it doesn't matter how big your sin might have been. And I'll tell you, there's some big ones. We just uh, uh, experienced the, 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 the news cycle this past week about a young man who walked into a church and boom, 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 boom. Can God forgive somebody for going into a church and shooting people? I'll tell you, the family stood up and, and exemplified the forgiveness of God. And they offered forgiveness to this young man. God's grace is amazing. I mean, they don't call it really nice and special. It's amazing grace. 
And so Paul says, uh, you know, should we continue in grace or in, in, in sin that grace might abound? I mean, hey, the more sinner I am, the more grace God gives, and that brings glory to him. And Paul says, meganoito, and which translated, by no means. I mean, it is really strong. It's uh, in today's vernacular, you got to be kidding me. No, we ought not to live that way. So, so how can we who died to sin still live in it? I mean, friends, it is a shame that Christ would come and die in your place, save you from the penalty of sin, and you died right back into it. Amen? Are you with me on that, friends? I mean, are we awake here? I mean, the battle is real. I mean, you are missing out, friends, if you're diving back into the pool of sin of this new life that God has for you. And you say, yeah, but it's hard. But I will tell you, the victory's already been won. Let's, let's jump into it. I mean, by no means. I mean, how can we who died to sin still live in it? When you went to Jesus and you asked him to forgive you, you saw that, that those actions, thoughts, the intents of your heart were bringing death in your life. And you say, God, deliver me from that. Then you go back into it. Now, that makes no sense at all. I mean, how can we who died to sin still live in it? I'll tell you, there's, there's some, some truth to be known about this. And the first truth is this. Believers have been crucified with Christ. Take a look here. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And that word baptism is used different ways in, in the Bible. Um, there is the, certainly the water baptism in which uh, having followed uh, Christ in faith, you have put your faith in Christ, you've found his forgiveness, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, and the first step of obedience in it is to walk out in front of everybody you know. And you go into these baptismal waters to communicate that you stand in faith in Christ. That's who you're following. And you make it known publicly. So that's, that's perhaps the most well-known baptism. But another kind of baptism that is, is certainly taught in the Scripture, which Paul is referring to here, is not water baptism. It is spirit baptism. And you say, oh, that sounds scary, Dave. No, you know what? Everybody that has put their faith in Jesus Christ has already experienced it. It's not something you feel or see. It's just a reality. The moment you trust in Christ, you are baptized into the body of Christ. You are placed into the family of God. It is something that happens spiritually that should be lived out in the life that we have here today. It's one of the reasons we gather here together is we belong to the body of Christ. We ought to gather with the body of Christ. <coughs> and so the first truth that should be known is that we have been crucified with Christ and baptized into his death friends, we have died to sin. If you have put your faith in Christ, you've said no to that stuff. And remember, the word isn't paralyzed or numb. It's death. I mean, dead people don't get hungry. Dead people don't reach out and grab stuff, you know? Death is like a final cut off. Enough of this. I mean, Christ died for our sin, and in that we died to sin. We've got to turn that channel, friends. 
we got to walk into another room. I mean, we got to cut that stuff off. And, and Paul is going to tell us how to do that here. But a couple of truths we have to know is first, if you are trusting in Christ, that stuff is, is, is history for you. Look at verse 4. Second part of that truth In verse 4, he says, we were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I mean, our lives ought to look different. I mean, has your life changed since you trusted Jesus? I mean, do you see people differently? Do you have different desires and hopes, and do you pursue different things since you've trusted in Christ? Friends, I don't know how it's possible not to. I mean, if you come to Christ and ask for forgiveness, you're saying, I hate that life. That life is death to me. That means you have a new life. And Christ gives us new life, eternal life. And eternal life is is too commonly mistaken as something that happens after you die. But when Jesus talked about eternal life, he means starting now, living a new life. I mean, to people, you know, you, you lose a little weight and people are like, hey, are you losing weight? Are you okay? You know, but when your life changes, people do the same thing. Like, well, they're acting different than they used to. And you know why? Because your appetites are now changed. Your appetite is not for the world, the flesh, and the devil. Your life is for Jesus. I mean, you're trying to get to know that guy. You know, this, this guy, this Jesus, the Son of God who saved me. I mean, he came and he was crucified. And he knew it all was going to happen. He did it anyway. What love is that? I want to know more about Jesus. I mean, do you have that appetite for the Word of God? And some of you are going, yeah. And some of you are like, I remember those days. Those were good days. You used to carry around a little pocket New Testament in your back pocket. Remember when you were young and they didn't have those phones? You know, and you'd pull it out and read it when you were in line. And you're like, James, that guy's crazy. Look at all that. He's right. Yeah. Uh, and you just couldn't get enough. And maybe people looked at you funny. Oh, they gone bat so religious on us, you know? But you're like, no, I got life. You need this stuff. And maybe somewhere over time, it just kind of faded away. And you know what changed? You stopped chasing after Christ. Because I'll tell you what, he didn't move. He didn't run off someplace, friends. The choice was yours, just as it would be mine. So believers, they have been resurrected with Christ, a new life. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so the truth is this, friends. You've already been dead to sin. Why do you keep trying to get up and go after it? Cut it off. And here Paul's going to tell us how to do it. Paul's going to tell us how to do it. I mean, if if, uh, the first instruction here is to know the truth about victory, I mean, it's already taken place. Live it. Live the victory. Live the victory purchased by Christ. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, there's instruction number two in verse six. Live like it's true. I mean, if it's true, live like it. 
You know, there's, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, when, when I first got married, I mean, you know, you got that whole adrenaline whirl going on, you know, and I was playing the part and getting in the right, and you got the right clothes on, and and then you stood here, and you, you said these vows, and you're totally amazed that, that there's somebody here that wants to spend the rest of your life with you, and they're crazy about you, and almost as crazy about you as you are about them. And you go to the part, and there's people happy, and they're telling stories, and it's just a crazy event. And then they all go home, and you're married, and you got to figure out what that is. I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable, it's weird, it's like, oh yeah, I'm married, and they're like, do I feel married? I don't know if I feel married. Is there a feeling if you're married? <laughs> and it's all new. But then you take steps in light of the reality that you're married, and so for me, it was the first time that we're going to sleep in the same bed over there. <laughs> and while that sounds good, it's awkward. <laughs> and then maybe like you, uh, or maybe like uh, Melanie and I, you get a hotel with no bathroom door. Welcome to marriage. <laughs> and it's new, and it's awkward, it's different. But you keep living because it's true. And friends, if you are a Christian, then live like it. If God has purchased for you a victory over sin, live in that victory. I mean, appropriate the truth in your life. Take a look here in verse 6. I mean, believers, they're, they're dead to sin, so live like it. I mean, really, if you are done with that life of death, then stop visiting. No visiting hours in sin. You don't take a break from Christianity. You keep living it. Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Enslaved to sin, he says. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And you know what I'm talking about, slave to sin. This is like eating one potato chip. And you look at it and you're like, well, it was a small one. I want to go back for some more. And then suddenly you're half a bag deep, you know? <sighs> and that's, that's sin. I want to tell you something here that is so true. If you want to be victorious in battle against sin, it is infinitely, infinitely more difficult to say no the first time than the second time. So that's where the real battle is. Once you've walked through the door into that sin, it suddenly has become a, a giant uh, cavern to walk through. There is nothing to keep you out. You wrestle here, that's where the victory is. Don't try and I'll come back and try and stop it later. Say no now. That's where the victory is won, is right at the doorstep. I will not walk through that door. I will not. Because of the person I am, because of the person God made me, that door is not for me and I will not walk through it. And friends, if you don't have that attitude, I guarantee it's just a turnstile for you. You're in and you're out and you're in and you're out. It's so comfortable for you. Yeah, you can't imagine living outside of it now. Do the battle at the door and say, no, I will not go there. You do it on the keyboard. 
You do it with your eyes as you drive by the billboards. Wherever battle needs to take place, you say, I will not go there. I will not look on these things. Job made a covenant with his eyes that he would not look on a woman with lust. He refused it. You know, Tony and I, we, you know, we had different uh, strategies. When he, uh, when he watched a movie with his family, he had a pillow on his lap. And if something inappropriate should pop on, the pillow was over his head. You know, when we were family and we were watching it, Alex would be on the other end of the sofa. And if something came on, I looked for his eyes and he looked for mine. That was a battle strategy, I'll tell you. But you got to, you know, turn it off, turn it, you know, be done with it. I mean, have you ever gone in a movie theater and you're like, no, they said it's a good movie, but why are they offending everything about Jesus? I've got to walk out. Have you ever walked out of a movie? And I'm not talking about by a bad plot, but by something is just an offense to God. You say, why do I even come to this place anymore? Friends, do the battle. You know, live like it's true. I'm dead to this stuff. I don't want a life that leads to death. So live like it's true. What is true that believers are dead to sin? And here in verse 8, believers are alive to Christ. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. I mean, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And that is our model, friends. See, it, it, you know, the part of the struggle is this, is we think that the Christian life is just trying to stop not sin, you know, stop sinning. If only we cannot sin today. And that is the exact opposite of what the Christian life looks like. We don't go here because we are hotly pursuing this. We want to know Jesus. We want to know the Word of God. We want to live in such a way that makes a difference in people's lives. We want to serve Him. We want to bring joy to Him, bring glory to God. And I'll tell you what, that stuff just gets in the way. That's poison to the life you're pursuing. And if your Christian life doesn't look like the pursuit of God, something's missing, my friends. Today is free day. Stop trying to avoid sin and start chasing after God. I guarantee if you're chasing after God, you won't find sin there. Sin is found on the sidelines, yelling out for you, look at me over here, we're having fun and it feels good. No, I'm chasing after God. Everything else is an absolute no. There's no little gray lines that I'm willing to hang out on the sidelines with them, have little conversations with sin. Friends, you've got to chase it with your whole heart. I mean, wouldn't you like to be that guy that, uh, that just knows where things are in the Bible? You know, when, when people are, oh, yeah, that's in Matthew chapter 24, I think. You can be that guy. But you can't be that guy not working at it, not chasing it, not saying, I want to understand this book. I want to know how God designed this New Testament to fit together. I mean, what is different between Matthew and Mark or Luke and John? Why four of them? What's the point? What's so different? How will I know if that story is in John as opposed to Matthew or Luke? Friends, study it. I mean, get in the Word of God. 
And then learn about prayer. I mean, prayer is not listing. It's, it's talking to a friend. It's talking to someone who loves you. I mean, think about it. Parents, you know what this stuff is like. Wouldn't it be nice if the kids would call? You know, or, or we, the, those special times when you're in the car together and they don't stop talking and you're doing laps around the neighborhood and going off to the mall in Maryville because you don't want to stop hearing from them. I mean, if you're like that, how is God? I mean, talk about your struggles. Talk about your decisions you have to make. I mean, you know, can you even imagine what it would be like not to talk to someone you love? I mean, Millie's off to, you know, Asia, and I don't know what to do with myself, you know? That ought to be the truth about prayer in my life. What do you mean I can't talk to God? No, I can't do that. I need time with God. If it's true in every other relationship, friends, it has to be true in your relationship with God. I need a towel up here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But come on, isn't this? Don't you want to just get out and do it? I mean, live this stuff. It's not rocket surgery. It's just Christianity. Just live it. <clears throat> and so, friends, know the truth but live the truth. Live it out. The victory is won. Just live it and say, you know, you ever alone at night? And you just, you just sense the evil one. And I'm not talking about, you know, leftovers from the scary movie. I'm talking about just the oppression of the evil one. How do you respond to that? I'll tell you how I do. I laugh. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, the victory's already won. You guys can't touch me. Yeah, go if you want, but I, I'm Jesus. I belong to him. He's the king. I mean, you guys are losers. Have you got, not read the book? I mean, I know exactly what your destiny is. I have nothing to be afraid of. And that may not be the instruction of, uh, <laughs> but it is my response. It is the reality and the living out of truth. I mean, why be afraid? The victory is there. Live it. Live it out. And if it's true, verse 11, then live it that way. So, verse 11, you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. I mean, when you look in the mirror, as convinced as you are of who you are and of what your name is, and nobody's going to tell you anything other, you have to be convinced of this because it's true. You are a child of God. You have victory over sin. God has a new life for you. Live it out. Don't let anyone convince you of anything different. And then here's the step to step. Paul lays it out here, in uh, starting at verse 12. I mean, here's how to do it. You know, we, we say know the truth about victory. Well, we do. It's been won. It's ours. Let's enjoy it. Let's live it. And if we know it's true, let's live it out. We're dead to sin. Stop jumping back in. We're alive in Christ. Pursue him with all your hearts. And friend, if it's true, then live it. If it's true about you, I mean in your heart of hearts, this is me, I need to live this. I will live this. I'm going to start now. But here's how you do it. 
Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Look at that verse. That's so good. I got to read that again. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. And do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And so here's how to do it, how to live victoriously over sin. First instruction is this, don't yield yourselves as instruments of sin. Everybody hold out your hands. Come on, hold out your hands. Whose hands are these? They're God's. They belong to God. You remember that the next time you use the little ends of those hands to type in uh, some particular website address. Those hands belong to God. They don't take you to places on the internet. They're an offense to God. Your hands belong to God. They don't hurt, they build. Your hands belong to God. The same is true about your feet, is true is about your eyes. You don't use things. These parts of you, these instruments, these, these, these parts of your body to sin against God because they belong to God. These are words, these are eyes that look upon Him, that see God in all things. Everything points you to God. These eyes belong to God. Everything. Just reserve them right now in your own mind. These hands, these eyes, these feet, every part from head to toe are, are reserved for the building of God in my life, to, to conform my character. I do these things to make a difference in others' lives, to obey God. Do not let them be used for sin. Do you have special dishes in your house? You know when people come over? I mean, not the important, you know, the, the, the important people in your life. You know, the people you see like twice a year. You know, you reserve the special stuff. The, the, you know, the, the riffraff of family, they get to use the junk dishes. <laughs> it's funny how we do that sometimes. But, you know, we, t- we do. We reserve certain things for important. How about all of this? Head to toe. We don't listen to gossip. Why? Because it's an offense to God. And it tears at our soul because it's tearing down someone else. And we're committed to building people. You know, that tongue, refer to James on that one, could do a lot of damage, friends, but not if we reserve it for blessing God and building up people and communicating the truth. Friends, don't yield yourselves as instruments of sin. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Instead, yield yourself as instruments of righteousness. Paul says, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. These hands, these feet, do it every day. You get out of bed, God, these eyes belong to you. I will not look on something that is an offense that will dive through the window of my eyes into my heart. These eyes belong to you. You know, Paul is, is going to go through a list of all of these things here in just a bit. But, but for now, just imagine every aspect of motion, of movement, uh, anything you can do with your body, make it reserved only for God, only for His work, only for His service. 
only for that which will build in you that which God wants in you. So present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. These used to think of all of the things that you used to do with the eyes and the ears and the mouth and the words that would come. I mean, like a sailor, a sailor, and I was in fourth grade. People would laugh at the amount of cussing that came out of this mouth. But this mouth don't cuss no more. You know why? Because it's God's. It is used to, to bring glory to God, to communicate the truth of His Word, to deliver the gospel to the lost. I'm not going to, two different things aren't coming out of my mouth because it doesn't belong to me for sin. It belongs to God for righteousness. So yield it. Yield it to God. Yield these instruments to righteousness. So for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. And then just to take care of any confusion here, well, what then, verse 15? I mean, are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And Paul did a little correction, by no means. Make an oito. Do you, not have, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey? Either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. I didn't serve in the military. For those of you that did, you'll, you'll readily catch on to this here. There was a point in your life you had a drill sergeant. And what the drill sergeant told you to do, you had to do. And you did it. And you had to do it immediately. Am I right? little amen. <laughs> you know, and there, there was a day and that was it. I mean, you're lying. They, they throw you in the brig. I mean, you know, you're in serious trouble. You don't obey these people. And you're in the military. You signed up for it or you were forced into it. Regardless, those are the rules you lived under. That guy spoke, you acted. And at some point, you were discharged. You were out of the military. But that guy still existed. Suppose you ran into him at Meyer and he said, Go get that cheese. I want some mac and cheese. I want some chicken. Go get it now. Same voice, same guy, same memories. But you're free from it. God can jump up and down and scream all day long and you can walk away. And the same is true about temptation. You ain't falling for that anymore. That used to be a place where I live, but I'm not going there now. You yell and scream and, uh, you know, whatever you want and send the aromas where, you know, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Because I'm a child of God, and I live for my king, not for myself. So, don't yield your, yourselves as instruments of sin. Yield them as instruments of righteousness. I mean, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient, you're a slave to it. You dive in the pool of sin, you are a slave to sin. It owns you. Don't let anybody own you but the one who paid for you. And that's Jesus. But verse 17 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to what you are committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But the Christian challenge is this, and this is where we're going to land it here this morning. 
the end of verse 19, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. The word sanctification talks about the process of change in which our character is conformed to the character of Jesus. We see and think and act in the way that he did. Wow. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Sin leads to death. Righteousness is the lifestyle of those who will live forever. But now, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Why? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, let's wrap it up here. Overcome slavery to sin by pursuing righteousness with your whole heart. Chase after God, sin cannot keep up. Chase after God, sin cannot keep up. To start living the Christian life as God designed it, evaluate today, what have you been chasing? You've been waiting in the pool of sin, walking around the edges, dipping your toes in every now and again? You've been running after God. Start living the Christian life as he designed it, designed it. And start, stop sinning. I mean, just stop. You say, well, can anybody do that? Well, if you choose to, because every sin is a choice. Nobody accidentally falls into the pool of sin, friends. You're walking around it. You're drawn to it. You've got to walk away. And to win it all, pursue righteousness. Chase after God. Be the man of God or the woman of God you long to be. By choosing to be that man of God or woman of God every day. Do that which a man of God will do. Do that which a woman of God will do. Start young. Get a head start. Victory will be yours in Christ Jesus if you will claim it and live it today. God help us.